Who's glad to kind of see the sun? I know I am, being from Florida. Uh, I am so tired of the cold and ready for the spring. Anyone else ready for the spring? Uh, amen to that. I love springtime. At this time, it's time for the children to be dismissed for Children's Church. As they're being dismissed, if you will uh, rise and greet one another, please. you make it back to your seats if you'll remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Father who is in heaven, right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and you may be blessed by the reading of God's word, you may be seated. We are in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Matthew 6, 1 through 4, if you turn there in your Bible this morning, we've been in this study for about 18 weeks, uh, I promise we're on uh, the back side of the series um, with um, we don't have 18 more weeks to go. I know we're in chapter 6, but chapter 6 and 7 we will get through pretty quickly. But here in chapter 6, uh, we're going to begin to make this turn. And the turn is about, okay, now that we've been experiencing, Jesus has been teaching us these things, and the internal has begun to change, our hearts be, have begun to change. He's now going to begin to focus, if the internal has changed, now the external will change. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the things that uh, have to begin to change in our lives. Um, up until this point, we can kind of summarize the Sermon on the Mount in three sections. The first section is in the Beatitudes. It's the character of a kingdom citizen. So this is what a character, this is what you'll look like. Uh, if you're, you're hard, remember, we blessed are those who are persecuted, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those, and we went through the Beatitudes. The second thing we see is once the character of a man changes or a character of a woman changes, then the influence of a kingdom citizen will begin to take root. Remember, he says, "Let you are now the salt and light of the world. And so he's saying, once our characters begin to change, then we'll begin to have influence in this dark uh, and tasteless world. And then the, over the last few weeks, we've looked at now what does our righteousness look like? So what's the character of a kingdom citizen look like? What, what's our influence look like and what's our righteousness look like? Over the last few weeks, we've looked at anger and lust and divorce and oath 
and retaliation. Last week we looked at loving our enemies. What Love, that's our righteousness. When our lives begin to take root, we will begin to display these things to a lost world. And so the first half of our righteousness Jesus is talking about is what the scholars call your moral righteousness. What, what does the law teach us about what our righteousness looks like? That's what the law was given to us for. The law was given to us for our righteousness. And so we can't get away from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is very precious to us because it leads us into a more righteous and holy life. Well, now we're going to get into what uh, the scholars call our religious righteousness. So if these things have begun to take root in our lives, now what does it look like for our relationship with God? So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at giving. That's this morning, prayer and fasting. That's what our relationship with God will look like. When our relationship with God begins to change, then these other things will begin to take root in our lives. We'll be men and women who give. We'll be men and women who pray. We'll be men and women who fast. And we'll see this catch line that Jesus says over and over in these, these next three weeks. Um, and so this morning we're going to look at what does our, re- our religious righteousness look like in regards to our giving. Um, in the next two weeks after that we'll look at uh, prayer and fasting. And so Jesus now is going to begin to turn the corner. He's going to bring us to uh, the, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's going to tell us that in these next three weeks. Uh, he knows that once our moral righteousness begins to take root, then our religious righteousness takes root. And when our religious righteousness takes root, then that affects all of our relationship. And he's going to tell us these three places uh, where it's going to take uh, root. So our giving, what we'll talk about this morning, has to do with our relationship with other people. This brings us into relationship. When we see the needs of other people, we begin to give to other people. And I, I'm not just going to talk about money this morning. So if you're here and you hear the word give, you think, oh no, I'm not talking just about giving. I'm talking about all that God has given to you. We are now just instruments to give to other people. So this idea of giving isn't just about money this morning. The next thing we'll see next week is prayer. Our prayer life will affect our relationship with the Lord. We see that. Um, we may take two weeks uh, because the Lord's prayers, the, the, it, it can encompass all of our prayer life. If we just really begin to pray the Lord's prayer daily and really do what the Lord's prayer is saying, it will affect everything about us. Uh, so we may take two weeks to do that. And the last thing uh, we see, so the first thing is our relationships affected with others, our relationship is affected with God, and the last thing is our relationship with ourselves is affected. That's fasting. When we begin to fast, you will see, I'll call us in a few weeks to fast, whether it's one day, one meal, two meals, whatever God lays on your heart to fast, that you you will fast, and you'll see your relationship with yourself will be affected through your fasting, because you will become more dependent on God. And so that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Um, fat, uh, giving this morning, prayer next week, uh, or and the following week, and then fasting. And so this morning, again, we'll go back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. We're going to look at three things this morning that Jesus teaches us uh, in this passage. The first one that we'll look at is this, that seeking praise from other people. What happens when we seek praise from other people? The next thing we'll look at is seeking praise from ourselves, and then finally, seeking praise from God. 
God's going to give us this word. You'll see the very first word in the passage is beware. Jesus is holding up a stop sign for us as believers this morning. He's giving us a caution. The word beware means to hold or to take hold or to pay attention to. And so when Jesus begins to talk about our religious righteousness, he's going to give us a stop sign, a warning sign, a yield sign, like slow down. Because up until this point in the Sermon on the Mount, it's all been about our righteousness. And now all of a sudden we get to this verse in chapter 6, the very first word, and he holds a stop sign and says, wait, beware of your righteousness. Now what are you talking about, Jesus? He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Well, didn't Jesus just tell us back in Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16, to let our righteousness be shown to other people? Right? That, that's what he tells us in Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16. You are the light of the earth, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, uh, verse 16. Let your light shine before others. Let your righteousness shine before others so that you may, they may see your good works. That's our righteousness. Our righteousness is our good works. He's saying in that chapter, let our righteousness be seen. Now here in chapter 6, he's like, wait a second. Don't let your righteousness be seen. I love John Stott. He's one of my favorite theologians. This is what he has to say about the passage. He says, the clue lies in the fact that Jesus is speaking about two different sins. So Jesus, wait, you're telling me in chapter 5 to let my righteousness be shown. Now in chapter 6, you're saying not to. And and John Stott, he sums it up. He says, the clue lies in the fact that Jesus is speaking two different sins. It is our human cowardness which makes him say, let your light shine before men. And it is our human vanity which he tells us to beware of practicing our piety before men. And so what John Stott is saying and what Jesus is saying, yes, we need to let our righteousness be shown to work through our cowardness, but don't allow your righteousness to take root in your life and then it's no longer about righteousness, it's about self-righteousness, it's about being what he says about the Pharisees. That's what he tells us. This is what the proverb tells us about letting our righteousness uh, bring us glory or not to bring us glory. It's in uh, Proverbs 27.2. This is what uh, the writer says. Let another praise you, right? And that's what, that's what the warning is to Jesus, from Jesus. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, you are to practice your righteousness, but it's not so that you are to be seen. How many people know people that you're like, man, something's off about them. They appear to be godly, and it's like, that's just kind of gross. Anyone ever come across people like that? I know I have. Because I am one of those people. If I'm honest this morning. If I'm going to be honest this morning, this is one of the things I really struggle with the most. is to let my righteousness to be shown order, in order to receive praise back for that righteousness. I love preaching God's word, but there's been many, many times that I've come to this pulpit or one like this for the praise of you rather than the praise of God. And so I'll let my righteousness be shown to you so that when I get off of here, you say an amen to me and I really don't care what God says because I've received the praise from you, then I'm good. If I'm going to be right, if I'm going to be honest. Thank goodness for John leading the way in honesty this morning. So I didn't have to be the first. 
But if I'm really honest, when I read this passage, beware of practicing your righteousness. There's a part of me that me doing this is my righteousness. This is an overflow of what the Lord is doing in me. I'm not just preparing this message to give to you. My hope and prayer is every moment I prepare messages that God will change me first. But there's so many times that over the course of preaching, I've just thought, man, I hope I do a good job. I hope I get an amen. I hope someone says a good job. And if I don't get any of that, I'll leave the, the building and wonder, man, I must have done a terrible job. Because why? I'm looking for what Jesus warns me against and what he warns you against. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order what? To be seen by them. We only have an audience of one. Yes, I have an audience of about 70, but it really doesn't matter what, it, what you say. It matters what God says. If God can stamp his approval on this, that's all that matters. Here's the other reason my uh, mentor told me this. And I know this to be true because um, I don't remember one message my mentor has ever preached. But I remember him walking with me day by day. I know you'll leave here and you, you and I won't remember this message. I won't remember this message in two months. And I've prepared for it. But man, the, the, the devil can come into my heart and say, it matters, it matters, it matters. Get their approval, get their approval, get their approval. And then I'll become approval seeking from other people rather than God. And that's what God is warning us against in this passage. And so it may look different in your life because you're not up here preaching, but you go wherever you go in this place. And our tendency, because we can see that throughout the, the fall of man, our tendency is to receive praise from other people. How do I know that? Because one, that's how God created us. God has created us in such a way that we do get affirmation and confirmation from people. We need affirmation. We need confirmation. How do I know that? Well, one, I'm a counselor, so I see it all the time. And two, probably first, I'm a person. I know I need affirmation and confirmation. But what Satan does so often is he's saying I need affirmation and confirmation from you first rather than from God. My affirmation and confirmation has to first and foremost come from God. If not, what I'll do is I'll make you God. And so, so what God is doing in this passage is saying, hey, beware that we don't place other people in my position. God desires to affirm us and confirm us. And yet Satan wheels his way in and says, no, you need the approval of man. If we get the approval of man, everything's okay. And Jesus warns us about that in this passage. In verse 1, he warns us. He says, okay, if that's what it's going to be, and you'll get your affirmation and confirmation from people, he says this in the back half of that first verse. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven at all. He, he sa he'll say in verse 2, you have already received your reward. If you want your reward, you want your affirmation and confirmation, your approval for man, you'll get it. You and I can always get affirmed and confirmed by people. I don't know if you do this. I'm not going to say I do, but I do. I know how to fish for a compliment. 
I don't know how to fish for fish, but I know how to fish for a compliment. And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, if you want to fish for a compliment, you will always bring something back on your hook. There will always be someone to affirm you and confirm you. How come? Because you and I know how to prop ourselves up in such a way to receive that. And God is saying the very first things out of his mouth when he begins to say, hey, let begin to practice your righteousness is to beware. How come he's telling us to beware? Because he knows that's who we are and that's how we are. You see at the fall, that's what happened at the fall. And it's been happening ever since. And the writer of Proverbs tells us this. Let another praise you, not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. What that writer is saying, what, what Solomon is saying is, hey, you don't have to fish for compliments. You don't need to fish for compliments. You don't need to live your life in such a way that you go wherever you go, you're looking for compliments. And now Jesus is going to make the turn. He says, okay, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order that, to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And now Jesus is going to go into the, the next part of the passage. He's going to make a couple of assumptions or observations about us. He says this, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before, before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have already received their reward. The first observation that we see Jesus make, it's really a command. He says this, when you give. So the first thing that Jesus is going to say to us, and we're going to get into the rest of it, he's going to make these statements over and over again. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. These are commands from God. We are called by God to give to people. That's the first thing that we see in this passage. So we got to come to this place of, are we going to be financial givers and are we going to be resource givers? Because if we're not giving, that has everything to do with our righteousness. See, see Jesus said, if you give, he didn't say that. You might want to give, he didn't say that. He says, no, when you give. He makes the assumption, you will give. If we're walking with the Lord and we're in tune with the Lord, we will give because we'll have this understanding that there's been a blessing that's been bestowed on us, therefore we will want to bless other people. We will come back to what the sermon uh, started with, that we will see that we are needy. If we're needy, we, we have this understanding that other people are needy. If we understand other people are needy, that God is giving us gifts and bestowed gifts on us, we will have a desire to give those gifts away to other people. See, it has everything, our giving has everything to do with our righteousness. We'll get to this in the back half. It's not the amount you give. It's do you give and where do you give from? Do you give from your heart or do you give from your pocketbook? You give from your heart. See, righteousness has everything to do with the heart. Righteousness has everything to do with what's going on internally. When we give other than giving from the heart, we're giving so that we are to be seen. And Jesus warns us against that. The next thing that we see, he says, okay, you will give. And then the next thing is, hey, don't do these things. Don't be like the hypocrites. The word hypocrite, circle in your Bible, means actor. What Jesus is saying is, hey, don't be like a person who acts in a play. 
you know, actors and uh, actresses who are great at their craft can take who they really are and, and make you and I believe that they're someone totally different when they begin to be an actor. We don't really know the person who's acting, we just know the character they're portraying. That's what Jesus is warning us against. Hey, don't be an actor. Don't come and put on a mask so that you think you're fooling everyone else. You, you see, when we think we're fooling everyone else, we're really just fooling ourselves. And Jesus is warning us against that. Do not be like the hypocrites. Over and over in the New Testament, Jesus talks about hypocrites. We see in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, he talks to the Pharisees. He says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, and he describes what they're like. You are like whitewashed tombs. Your outward appearance is beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones. And so the first thing a hypocrite can be is like a whitewashed tomb. The second kind of hypocrite is this. He says this in Luke chapter 11, verse 44. You, the hypocrite, is like an unmarked grave, and the people walk over them without knowing. You're not even noticed, he says. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. This is probably the scariest one. Because these are the kind of people that infiltrate the church so often. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware the false prophets, beware the hypocrites, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You see, when we become hypocrites, we just become wolves. We just become whitewashed tombs. We, we just become unmarked graves. You see, the greatest danger to the church today are hypocrites. How come? Because we can have people come in and you can be or I could be a hypocrite. And so externally we look like we have it all together, but our heart is so far from the Lord. And then we begin to teach things that are so far from the Lord, but it looks like truth. And when we begin to do that, people will begin to gravitate to the truth, which is not the truth at all. You can see throughout the church in America, there's so many hypocrites leading the church because they want praise from other people. They want an amen. They want a dollar. It's, it's horrifying. I'll say it. I'll probably get in trouble. That's all right. There's a guy in Texas. He still has a mullet. It's time to get rid of the mullet to begin with. His name's Joel Olstein. He is a hypocrite. Right? If his best seller is called your best life now, we got problems. If this is your best life now, man, pack it up. I'm done. But he's making millions and millions and millions of dollars of saying this is coming from God's word. It's not in God's word at all, but it's making his pocketbook fat. He is a hypocrite. And as your pastor, I need to warn you against those that are in sheep's clothing. He's one of them. You see, beware. You see, Joel Olsen wasn't aware and got sucked in because of the praise of man. I'd love to be on New York's bestseller. I'll never make it because I can barely write an English paper. But anyway, I'd love to be on it. But I don't want to become a sellout to make a dollar. I'd rather stick to God's word and preach God's word than get a, a million amens. You see, if you preach God's word, God's word is offensive. You may not get amens. 
if the holiest man to ever walk the planet, Jesus, got killed for not going with the, with the flow, I, I better as well. Our Lord Jesus was never a hypocrite. Never. The next thing that we see happen when, when hypocrites become part of who we are, what hypocrites, the, the thing about hypocrites that's so dangerous is this, that they rob people from giving glory back to God and hypocrites take all the glory for themselves. That's what the Pharisees were doing. The Pharisees were living such a way that was righteous and self-righteous that men were beginning to praise the Pharisees and the scribe and not praising the God in heaven. And so Jesus is telling us, beware, don't become like the hypocrite. Don't rob God of his glory by being a hypocrite. The next thing we see, so the first one is not to seek praise from other people. When we seek praise from other people, the, 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 the sad part is Jesus makes the promise, if we seek praise from other people, we'll always get the praise, but that's all we'll get. So if you want praise from other people, go get it, you'll get it. That's a promise, but that's all you'll get. There's something that's going to happen to us in glory if we remain true to the course. There will be praise from our Heavenly Father who says, good and well done, my faithful servant. I'd much rather hear that from Him than you. And I hope that's true of me to you. The next thing that we see is in verse 3. Seek praise from ourselves. What, what does this mean, verse 3? But when you give, he uses that word again, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You might read that and think, what? How's this hand not going to know what this hand is doing? What, what Jesus is talking about, when we begin to live our lives in such a way of righteousness, that it will become second nature to us. Like if I were to come off the stage and I walk down the stage and I come into the crowd, I don't think of what my left foot is doing or my right foot is doing. It's just so natural to me. When, I, when I'm playing baseball, I'm terrible at baseball, but if I'm swinging a bat, I don't have to think what my left hand and right hand are doing. It just comes naturally to, this, to me. If I'm shooting a basketball, I'm not having to think about all those pieces. And what God is saying to us in this passage is, is our gift of giving to the needy second nature to us? Or are we having to convince ourselves to give and therefore think, hey, I've got to let other people know I'm giving. I've got to let myself know I'm giving. It's called being a self-promoter. We've got a lot of those right now in the, the, the political debates. It's awesome to watch. But that's all they're doing. They're letting their left hand know what their right hand is doing. They're self-promoting themselves all over the place. Entertainers are great at letting their left hand know what their right hand are doing. Some people on Facebook do the same thing. I hate Facebook, I'll just say that. But it's just full of people finding praise by gloating about themselves. I mean, we got a stick called a selfie stick. That, all that thing is to do is be self-promoting. You're taking a picture of yourself. That is ridiculous. <laughs> Allow myself to take a picture of myself and then post it all over the internet. Man, if you can't get someone else to take a picture of you, you got problems. You know you're in bad shape and you're the only one who got a picture of yourself. I mean, come, but that's what God is talking about in this passage. Don't be a self-promoter. 
I, I mean, that's what social media is. To the T. And yet, it, that's what people spend hours and hours and hours of their day doing. And Jesus is warning us against that. Don't seek praise from yourself. You'll get it too. You will, I mean, you can convince yourself you look good in the mirror. I'm not kidding. I do all the time. <laughs> and so God is saying to us, hey, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. I, I love what this old theologian has to say, say about this. He, he says this about being self-promoting and about letting other people praise us. He says this, A.B. Bruce is his name. We are to be slow when tempted to hide and we are to hide when tempted to show. If my first inclination is, hey, I need to take a picture of myself and post it on the internet, I need to have a pause button and say, that's probably a bad idea. That's what he's saying. He's saying let other people, that's what the, the Proverbs, uh, the man in Proverbs is writing about, let other people do that for you. Jesus became famous not because he went around self-promoting. He became famous because he lived and surrendered to a holy God, and a holy God is the one that propped him up. He, he became famous because other people made him famous, not because he made himself famous. The last thing that we see is in verse 4. So this leads us all up to this last verse. So that your giving may be done in secret and your Father who sees in heaven will reward you. The, uh, the next assumption that we see in this passage is that if we become generous givers and we give out of an overflow of what God has given to us, we will receive a reward. We don't do it for the reward, but we receive the reward for it. If I'm just doing things to get a reward, I'm just going back to the first two. But there is a promise. If I'm giving out of my righteousness that flows from my intimacy with the Lord, there is a reward. It may be here on this planet, but it's for sure if we read throughout the Word. It will be in heaven. There will be a moment that you and I take all of the things that we have done, we lay them out before the Lord, and the Lord will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then we will, what the, the Word says, you will receive jewels for your crown. That's a reward. The other reward is when you and I become generous givers and we have a deep prayer life and we begin to fast on a regular basis, the other reward is your intimacy with the Lord grows and grows and grows. There's no greater reward than my intimacy with the Lord. There's no greater reward for me that I can receive than to become so intimate with the Lord. If you've ever had those moments when the Holy Spirit presses upon you and you feel the presence of the Lord, there is no greater reward. There is no greater reward than to have an intimate moment with the Lord. Even that chocolate pie that Larry brings me, it trumps that a thousand times over. And so am I seeking the praise of man or I'm seeking the praise of God? Here, here's a, a checklist for us. Seven things that John MacArthur talks about when we seek the praise of and the glory of God. This is how we will know when we're generous givers. And it's flowing out of our righteousness. The first one comes out of Luke chapter 6, verse 38. He says this, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, run all over, it will be put into your laps. For with the measure you use it, 
the measure you will get back. Giving comes from a heart that is investing with God. Are you investing with God? That's the first thing we see. The second thing comes out of Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. And he sat down opposite to the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people putting large sums. And a poor widow came and put two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor woman has put in more than all those are, com- are contributing in the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put everything she has and all that she has lived to live on. The second thing that we see is when we live with our intimacy with the Lord and it comes out of our hearts, that giving is sacrificial. If I really am to be a giver, it's going to affect me. It's going to hurt me. Or do I just give out of the overflow? Is my giving an overflow or is my giving sacrificial? third thing we see is this Luke chapter 16 verse 10 one who is faithful with very little is also faithful in much and one who is dishonest with very little is also dishonest in much God has no relationship with how much a person has it's not about the amount It's not going to be about the amount. It comes out of the next one. And what, what Jesus, it comes out of number five. I'll get to number five. Are, are we giving because we see all that's been given to us? The fourth one is this. Giving correlates with spiritual blessing. Luke chapter 16, 11 and 12. If then you have been faithful, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in which is it one another's, who will give you which is your own? What, what he's saying is, if I really am giving, it's coming as a spiritual blessing. If I'm giving out of the heart, it's going to be a blessing to me and to other people. The, last, the, the fifth one is this, and we have two more. Giving is to be personally determined. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's up to you how much you give. So often we can say, oh, it's got to be this amount, it's got to be this, it's got to be this. No, in the New Testament, Paul says, no, we give from a cheerful heart and you determine. But it's going to come out of, am I giving sacrificially? Am I giving out of an abundance of my heart? Then it's not going to matter if it's 10%, 100%, 30%, 40%. It's because you're giving cheerfully. We cannot outgive God. How do I know that? God gave all to us. You will never outgive God. The psalmist says that, 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 that all that we see is his already. All the cattle on a thousand hills are, are his. You cannot outgive God. So it's not about 10%, 5%, 1%. It's have you determined between you and the Lord an overflow of the heart that you'll give to the Lord. I don't just mean here in an offering plate. I mean wherever you go. Are, are you giving a sacrificially of your time, sacrificially of your talent, sacrificially of all that God's given to you? It's not a, just about money. 
we can think money, give, money, give. That's not what God's talking about. He's talking about all of us. Are we giving all of us that he has given to us? We're just stewards of what he has given to us. Not just our pocketbook, but our talents, our resources, our energy. All of it are we giving. The last two things are this. We give in a response to a need. Do you and I see the need to give? You see, we're only going to see the need if we come to that own place of what Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes. Do you see the spiritual need? The only way you'll see the spiritual need and the neediness of other people is to recognize your own neediness. We were talking Wednesday night about this idea. That we have to come to this place that we see the world for what it really is. Lost and dying. You see, when you and I leave these doors today, our eyes ought to be open to all the neediness around us. Even to the man that brings you your food at lunch today. Do you see his need? Do you see her need? Spiritual need? Monetarial need? Prayer need? Are we seeing the needs of people? We live in a lost and dying world. And God wants to use us to bring the greatest gift that's ever been given to the greatest need. Will we be a part of that? The last one, and maybe the most important one, is this. Giving demonstrates love, not law. Am I giving out of an overflow of the love that God has for me, and therefore I give that love to other people? In closing, I'll say this. God has created us for good works. God has created us to be generous givers. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2. For we are his workmanship. You see that word workmanship there in Ephesians chapter 2. If you think of this, when you go into a nice home, and you think of the, the picture that's above the mantle, that's probably the person's nicest artwork. That's probably their greatest possession. Unless you're Jerry and you put it in your back and you have it in a cla- class uh, ga- case and it's just baseballs. I now, why you put those in your room? I, I'd like you put them on your mantle. Let all of us see them. I'll take one. I mean, borrow. But what Jesus is saying here through Paul is that we're his workmanship. We're his greatest uh, achievement. And how do we display that greatest achievement? It's created in Christ for what? For good works. You've been created by God, for God, for good works. And so, if you're not doing good works, then it has to do everything with your intimacy with the Lord, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, as we close this morning, are we seeking the approval of others? Are we seeking the approval for ourselves? Or do we live our lives in such a surrendered manner that we are seeking the approval and gaining the approval from God? And in this morning, what we'll talk about is it true in your giving? your life, not your pocketbook? Are you giving yourself away to this lost and dying world? That's what Jesus is talking about. Let us pray. God, you've called us to give to the needy. The great promise in your word is that there are needy people and there will always be needy people. Needy people, God, are not hard to come by. And so, God, I pray for us this morning that you'll give us the eyes to see needy people. God, I pray that this church would be a church marked 
by giving to the needs of our community. God, I really, really beg that of you. God, that we, you would use this church to make an impact on this community by meeting the needs of other people. Jesus, yourself, you did that. You met the greatest need. You've called us to do the same. Continue to lead us and guide us, I pray. I pray this in your sweet name. Amen.